From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. This is Stephen Kravitz, it's People of the Book, and we've got a very full show today. We've got an interview with a South African historian, a professor on the Youth Day riots, the Soweto riots in 1976, and his book on that topic. We also have... Uh, we've got uh, good friends of the, 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 the people of the book show coming in from Penguin Random House to discuss some of their current releases and things to look forward to. And then I've got the books that I want to get through before 20 past 11. The first book that I want to discuss is a very powerful book. It's called In Every Moment We Are Still Alive. It's by Tom Malkvist. He is from Sweden, and the book has made quite a quite an impact in his home country where, when it came out two years ago. It's been translated into English, and on the very front cover, there tells from the copy that I've got, it says that he won the Nordic Council Literary Prize, and one of the judges said, well, the judges said, one of the most powerful books about grief ever written. It's a novel, but it is, as you're going to hear, very, very strongly based on Tom Malkvist's personal experiences. For everybody who was very moved by last year's book, um, the the, um, the the medical memoir written uh, by the doctor who got um, Paul Calafini, his book about being diagnosed with cancer when he had just finished his residency and become a uh, a doctor when breath becomes air. If that book, if you found that book very powerful, then this one also will be very, very similar. From the very start of Tim Malkvist's autobiographical debut novel, we thrust into a very difficult moment in the author's life. In every moment, We Are Still Alive opens as Tom's pregnant wife, Karen, is being defibrillated in intensive care. Flu-like symptoms have begun to resemble pneumonia and are then revealed to be aggressive leukemia. From the first page, torrents of medical jargon fill the reader with the all-too-recognizable disorientation of being in hospital. Physical bustle, mundane interactions and life-changing information is integrated without quotation marks or line breaks for speech. Here's a quote. She'll get all the help she needs now. She says, yes, thanks. Okay, well, I'll be off then. Okay, thanks. Karen has electrodes attached to her chest. The result is a sophisticated sense of immediacy and actually medical emergency. Just as Tom realizes his wife will die, he becomes a father. He spends days in the family room of the critical intensive care ward where his wife is declining and then in the neonatal ward in which his premature daughter, Livia, is fighting to begin her life. Going between the two, he brings blankets that carry the scent of mother and daughter to one another. Corin's eventual death takes us back to the beginning of the cycle. Tom remembers life with Corin and life before Corin, while also struggling to cope and learning to be a father. He chronicles his desperate attempts to preserve his memories. I save, this is a quote, I save the stains, photograph them, then go and get Corin's coffee cup from the corner cabinet. 
I sit in Karen's chair and try to imagine her writing on her laptop and spilling the coffee. In the space of a few months, he will also lose his own father again to cancer. Malquist has was already a respected poet in his in his native Sweden before in every moment, which soon became a bestseller in Sweden. That was, as I said, two years ago in 2015. He is bound to be compared to one of Norway's great modern writers or contemporary writers, Karl Ove Knausgaard, whose books The Struggle are also an auto-fiction sensation. What um, Tom Malkvist is good at is concerned to varying degrees with an intentionally cultivated sense of artlessness, the prosaic stuff of life, such as family conversations, trifling arguments, and ingredients for festive meals, all presented in an unfiltered manner. This is Tom Malkvist's book, in every moment we are still alive. It's definitely, definitely autobiographical fiction. And Malkvist's aim is to capture the feeling of being alive in its specialness, its ordinariness. And when over a concentrated period of upheaval and bereavement, this is another quote, reality erodes all protection until one is forced to confront life without any hope of mercy. This is... In Every Moment We Are Still Alive by Tom Malkvist. It's published by Scepter. It's very, very powerful, autobiographically inspired fiction. I've got another great book, similar in approach, straight after this ad break. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. We are doing People of the Book, and we're looking at New books that are out, available in the shops right now. These are books that uh, you can go into the shops, you can find them. The first book that we looked at is In Every Moment We Are Still Alive by Tom Malkvist. And the second book we're going to look at is called The Barrow Fields. It's by Philip Lewis. And it's, it's, a, it's a brilliantly written and a deeply moving novel. And takes us to North Carolina. It's an American saga, but this is a book very worth looking out for. Philip Lewis's book is a heartbreaking love letter to literature, to loss and life, change, and life-changing choices. It's an absolutely gorgeous debut novel. Opening its pages is like looking directly into the mind of the novel's protagonist, Henry Astor. And it reads as an intimate tale of sorrow, addiction, and growing up. The Barrowfields is set in a fictional town, Old Buckram, which is in North Carolina, a place filled with crippling poverty that is slow to modernize. It is there in the ghostly skeleton of a mansion, Harner Hill, that Henry Astor is raised by an aloof father who has a massive literary ambition and a worsening drinking habit and a quiet yet supportive mother. Henry is in awe of his father's ambitions. His father works as a lawyer during the day, but writes and plays piano in his gigantic library all night. In his young adulthood, Henry begins to take after his father. When tragedy strikes, leaving Henry, his mother, and young sister alone, he departs for college and resolves to never return home. 
He leaves the house on the hill and his mother and young sister to fend for themselves. Through a new and shocking journey in the real world, Henry falls deeply and perplexingly in love. The woman, ironically named Story, brings her own baggage to their relationship. Eventually, after graduate school, Henry finds himself traveling back to his childhood home, which stands unoccupied on the hill, and in attempts to resolve his inner demons, grapples with his feelings for Story, his girlfriend, and find himself. Through inspired and shrewd prose, Lewis tells the story of the, cha- of the challenging and thought-provoking life of our protagonist, Henry Astor. Although this is Lewis's first novel, one would never guess that he's new to the world of authorship. He has close ties to the narrative and setting of his fictional tale. Philip Lewis is from a mountainous North Carolina town. He also practices law, collects rare books, and studies language, much like the fictional Henry Astor. And his father, it is obvious he has many person and and it is obvious that he has many personal ties to his first novel. The passion and realism radiating of the pages is unparalleled in, uh, to any other recent realistic fiction piece that you might go out and find. The Barrowfields is clever with a hint of nostalgia and plenty of intellect. It contains a great deal of literary references, ranging from Poe to Wolf, all the American greats, which provide lovely metaphors and layers of additional meaning to the story. The narrative prose is precise, calculated, and creates a beautiful tone for the reader that makes the piece captivating and, for people who love literature, impossible to put down. The most striking part of the novel is its deep authenticity. It is rare to pick up a piece of modern realist literature that feels like it's surrounding you. It was nearly it's, it becomes almost nearly impossible to separate your reality as a reader from the book t- from the actual reality that's being put across by Philip Lewis in the book. The world that Philip Lewis creates in the Barrowfields is vivid and honest, and anyone looking for a really moving family saga, a sense of um, discovery and looking looking into a family's tormented past, the Barrowfields makes for gripping reading. So, so far we've looked at today the, the, the book, uh, two books, In Every Moment We Are Still Alive by Tom Malkvist, and then The Barrowfields by Philip Lewis. Um, both of them actually published by Scepter, and they're both extremely engaging and very, very powerful stories. And uh, we're now going to be joined on the line by Professor professor of History at UNISA University. It's Professor Sifiso Nlovu, who has written and now just updated a book called The Soweto Uprisings. Professor, welcome. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Uh, just to tell everybody who's listening on the radio show, I have mentioned this book Previously, I mentioned it uh, just after Women's Day, and I said uh, we were looking at a book about women in science, and we'd missed the opportunity to interview on close to Youth Day, but I did mention the book just after uh, Women's Day. When the Soweto Soweto uprisings of June 1976 took place, Sifiso Ndlovu, the author of this book, was a 14-year-old pupil at the uh, Fefeni Junior Secondary School 
With his classmates, he was among the active participants in the protest action against the use of Afrikaans as a medium of instruction. Contrary to the generally accepted views, both that the uprisings were spontaneous and that there were bigger political players and student organizations behind the uprisings, this book shows that this was not the case. Using newspaper articles, interviews with former pupils, fellow pupils, and through his own personal accounts, the author, our guest today, Professor Ndlovu, provides readers with a counter-memory of the momentous events of that time. I've got a few questions, Professor, that I'd like to put to you um, based on your book. And I think these yeah. questions will make the history and your historical processes as a professor come more alive for our listeners. You've subtitled this book, Counter Memories of June 1976. Yeah. In what way does that reflect a contrary version of the uprising? Yes, it's uh, counter memories in the sense that we were not homogenous as students. And because of the fact that I'm a historian by, by profession, we're quite aware that it takes time. I mean, there's no historical truth outside there. It's, it's relative for us to understand what happened. It takes time, you know, for us to be engaged in further research. So mine is just a contribution in terms of what took place. So that is why I am saying these are counter-memories in the sense that the dominant narrative then was arguing that as students we were homogeneous. And that is why in the book, I focus on my school itself, saying that we were not, we were divided. The lower classes were using African as a medium of instruction, but the senior students in the same school were using English as a medium of instruction. Therefore, my argument that in, in terms of policy, in terms, that doesn't make sense, really. It shows how apartheid education was warped. But if you think about it, these issues were not then highlighted. So here I'm just talking about my school only before even considering what was happening throughout the world. So, so that is why I'm saying these are counter-memories. Is this why you have chosen to, play, to, to pay close attention to the, histiog to the historiography of the uprisings? Yes. yes. That, that is why I'm, I'm doing that it's not about point scoring in the sense that we are the originators of the uprising. I'm just dealing with the historical process itself before the needs themselves become a reality. So that is why then I'm saying that I begin with my school itself and, and, and explain that the policy itself, you know, was senseless. How can you... Nowhere in the world will you get a situation that you get a, a school, a single school, using two media of instruction in terms of language issues. So that is why then I then consider what has happening throughout the way to the township. And then my argument is that all the high schools were not using English as a medium of instruction because they were at the later stage of their education. We were the ones who used the guinea pigs so that we begin 
from the first year of, 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 of secondary school and complete the process later after being metric. So those who were ahead of us were right towards the end of their education, so they were not expected to use this. So, but if you understand the, the historical of the uprising, it is just generalized that all the schools in Soweto were using Africans as a medium of instruction. So for me, it's also more than a language issue because, as you know, language is part of what one calls cultural imperialism. So as young students, ourselves, we have to really deal with those matters. And as I argue in my book, really we didn't need the liberation movement to make us aware of such matters because they affected us at the local level, at the school level. I mean, as I asked the question, I mean, as a 14-year-old, I mean, did you, what did you, did you really think about such serious matters? I'm, I'm just asking yourself. Uh-huh. I'm just asking you, yeah. as a 14-year-old, I mean, what were you doing? I mean, if you remember, if you use your memory. Uh, it, it wasn't protesting government policy, but then <laughs> it was... a. I, I had a very... Uh, you were just a normal kid. Yeah, just a, what we hope our 14-year-olds in South Africa are today, mm. just normal kids. Are you are you saying that the government at the time simply failed to understand the dynamics of the uprising? Yes, 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 because really at the end of the day for them, I mean, I mean, I mean for you to oppress people, you have to conquer them in terms of their culture, you know. And the best way for you to go about it, you have to force people to speak your language. You have to destroy their culture. So at the end of the day, uh, the government was, was was focused on those matters. But as young school kids, we had to figure it out that, you know, that is not acceptable. Everywhere in the world, if you think about it, that's what the colonizers do. They first destroy the culture of the colonized. They destroy their language, and then they have to speak the language of the colonized. That's what they were interested in. And that's what I'm saying as a 14-year-old. Instead of being a normal kid, we spend our time thinking about these matters. That is why we stood up and said, no, no, no. This can't be done. I've got time for one more question. I want to ask you, in many ways, this book was a personal journey to set the record straight in terms of your knowledge and experience of the event. And now you are a professor. Is all of these aspects of your life related to... You know, that's another story in itself. That's another book. I mean, mean, if you you think about it, we lost so many... So many young people then they've never made it, and 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 when I think about it, you know how I reached the stage where I am now, you know it 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 it, it really made me think again that it really I was one of the few who were lucky enough because of the commitment to education, but at the same time, I mean if you think about it, some people regard education and they did. It is an opium of the nation in terms of controlling their thoughts, you know, of the young students. But but the the, the government itself sort of discouraged us by using by using language for political purposes. But we were so committed to fight against that. So when one thinks about where I am now, 
as I say, uh, what a waste of time and life of those who passed away because of such convoluted reasoning and thinking. So yeah. I'm a professor as I speak now, but it was through sheer commitment that I'm not going to accept, you know, whatever was stipulated by the government. I didn't even know that I'll end up where I am today. That is why I'm searching out the historiography, and it might not be the only narrative in town. So the more we address such matters, the better for all of us as a nation. Professor, thank you for your time. You've got a very busy schedule. And I think as a South African reader, a readership, we thank yes. you for, for a book that you've written that creates a greater, wider social context for the, for the Soweto riots. In fact, in, in fact, there's another book on the same matter, but more, more, more in terms of, 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 of themes. It has more themes which will be published at the end of this month, and I'm responsible for it because it also deals with the cultural uh, history dimension of that, particularly the Head Capitation Memorial Museum. It's significant, you know, like the Holocaust museums all over the world. Yeah. So the book will be published by UNISA Press. Uh, it's, it's, it's part of the Road to Democracy in South Africa series. And, 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 and you can check our website, the South African Democracy Education Trust website, about that book itself, which adds into this historiography. Uh, I look forward to reading more about that book. I will be. Okay. On, I will call you up after the show to find out more about it. And okay. thank okay. you, thank you for enriching our knowledge of the of the recent thank history you. of South Africa. Thank you. The best part of your day. At the heart of your community. All the talk. All the music. All the news. Hi, FM. This... This is People of the Book. Uh, we've just finished speaking to Professor Nlov from UNISA about his uh, recently re- released book, The Soweto Uprisings, Counter Memories of June 1976. Before that, we looked at two other books, The Barrow Lands by Philip Lewis and In Every Moment We Are Still Alive. And now here in the studio, it's, it's wonderful to invite Two two people in the books industry in South Africa from Penguin Random House, Jethro and Viz. Viz has been on before into the studio to share some of the books that are coming out now from they got absolutely fantastic lists at Penguin Random House. You actually you don't have to go to any other publishing house. You can just stay loyal to their lists and you can still have a lifetime worth of absolutely great reads. Welcome. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Viz, we'll start with you. Okay, sure, sure. Um, the last time I was here, we, we went through about 10 titles. Um, I've got about five really big ones from my side today, and then Jethro's got uh, another four. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to start with the, with the brand new uh, John Le Carre novel. Uh, it's called Legacy of Spies. Uh, that's set to be, to be released on the 7th of September. Um, it's a wonderful book because what he's done in this one is he's brought back the character of George Smiley, 
which everybody loved from his older books. Um, a lot of people who are fans of his would say that if you read a lot of John Le Carre's earlier books were just tremendous, and then the later ones are great, but maybe they just prefer the older stuff. So it's nice to see a return of the, the infamous uh, George, uh, George Smiley. And in this one, um, Peter Gillum is the main character, and he's a protege of George. And he sort of goes back and he finds George. Um, he's now retired, and he lives on a farm in Brittany, and he needs him back um, for his mission. So it's it's really, really good. I'm so excited that this book is coming out like this. It's Apparently, he's, he's written this book in just about a year. So it's taken him a very short space of time to write it, all things considered. Um, but John is coming along. He's about 85 now, and he's still trumping along. You know, So uh, it's going to be exciting to see it in the stores. It's out on the 7th of September. I think for everybody who's watched The Night Manager, yeah. if that was the introduction to John McCorray, well, welcome to the club. Yeah. <laughs> now go out and yeah. get, get some of his more recent books as well. And yeah. here, this is Legacy of Spies. Yes, yes, yes. I think if, you, if anybody who likes spy writing in particular, he's the gold standard. Yeah. You know, he's the um, Tinker Taylor, Taylor Soldier Spy. You know, all those great, great books. Um, anybody getting into it, you're going to love this one. Uh, the next one is by Michelle Richmond. Um, it's The Marriage Pact. This one's coming out on the 20. Well, it's actually uh, out now. Uh, it's just re- been released this week. So you should have it in the stores uh, if you go in this weekend. It's called The Marriage Pact by Michelle Richmond. And it's about a young couple that gets married and, uh, you know, everything's going okay. And then they get approached by a secret organization and this organization calls themselves The Pact. And what they tell them is we've got – we can connect you in, in, in some very exclusive circles uh, if you belong to our organization but uh, you've got to follow certain rules and naturally one of them breaks the rules and everything starts to go very very badly from then on so it's a I wouldn't say a psychological thriller I would say more suspense thriller uh, but a great great book by Michelle Richmond and that's already out so you should find it in stores now Okay. Then the next one is The Square and the Tower, which I've got for you there today. Uh, it's by Niall Ferguson. He's written some amazing books on uh, money and history and all those things combined. Um, so The Square and the Tower is about networks. It's about the history of networks. It's a wonderful book. Jethro and I were just talking the other day, and we were saying that the first chapter he, d- he dives into is the Illuminati, which is such a thrilling one. So you go in from the first chapter, and you just hooked in. you know. So he's got... He tells you how these networks formed and also power and how power sort of transfers and how it moves from one end to the other end, you know. So the square and the tower reference is um, it actually means people on the top in the, in, in the tower and people in the square on the bottom and how those two uh, different factions hold power and how they can uh, even inflict their own power. So it's a great book on history and money and also networks, mainly networks. And it's the uh, square and the tower. And this you f- one You found it very accessible. It was quite accessible. I also, I also thought it would be quite heavy. Looked at the size of the book and I thought, wow, this is a big read. But it's quite accessible. If anybody's, if, even if you haven't read Niall Ferguson before, um, you'd love this book. I think he was in the country last year sometime. He was. And, he and the, the other nice thing to do now that we've got YouTube uh, on our phones yes. is just to go to YouTube and type in Neil Ferguson, and you can hear him talking about some of his other books. And yes. once you've got a taste for him, yeah. The new book will be more like, you know, more of that, but in a new topic. Yes. He's very, very worth watching on YouTube. But yeah. then that's, it, have to, it mustn't stop there. Yeah. You've got to get his books because he writes, he's, as you said, he's very accessible. And if you're starting with the Illuminati in the beginning <laughs> of a book on network, you really get into the Dan Brown yeah, mind yeah, frame, yeah, yeah, yeah. which I'm sure you want to also speak about. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, so, yeah, it's quite accessible. It's, it's a good read. Um, he's he's going to be also talking about this book quite a lot in the media and stuff. He already 
has, in fact. This one will be out on the 27th of October. All right, okay. that's so that's something to look forward to. Yeah, we can get our reading schedules. Yeah, going. You know, just plan it out. I think you got, fib, you got your September reads, and uh, you can really start ordering <laughs> yeah. your October ones. Here we go. Yeah. So the next one is uh, Mythos, and that's by Stephen Fry. Uh, Stephen Fry, as we know, is such a wonderful writer and actor. He's um, he's done a lot of work in nonfiction and fiction. Uh, so this one is a retelling of the Greek myths. So all the great uh, Greek mythology, which is I think permeated our pop culture so much now if you look at movies you look at all these TV series coming there's so much entrenched in Greek mythology and uh, Stephen Fry is a wonderful speaker and a writer and he is entertaining and funny you know I mean he could talk about just the most arbitrary things and you'd find him entertaining so this is a retelling of the Greek myths and this one is out on the 27th of October as well Um, it's going to be all over the place so we're really going to be you'll see this book everywhere all over the stores and things so it's a wonderful book by Stephen Fry Um, does he range over different cultures mythologies uh, it's particularly Greek mythology so all the stories of Hercules and you know all the the Zeus uh, uh, Zeus and all the stuff everything's going to be we we need one of these books because there are so many novels that are based on Greek mythology. Yes. And you want <laughs> to have a book at home that if you're reading a, a, a book that is based on Greek mythology, you have an easy access reference book to quickly go to, read the actual mythology, and then jump back into your book. Yes, so that it, you can yeah. You can see the development and how the modern retelling in a novel yeah. takes the ideas from the Greek mythology just one step forward and updates them for our 21st century marks. Exactly. So this okay. is a very valuable book to have in a library. I think so too, yeah. It's, in it's a personal a, library, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the last one is The Science of Meditation, and this is by Daniel Goldman and Richard Davidson. Now, the science of meditation, you know, there's so much on the market now uh, on the subject of meditation and people are becoming more into, um, you know, trans- transcendental meditation. All the great actors, musicians, all these guys practice it, business people. So there's a lot of interest in this um, Eastern philosophy coming through. But I think the act of meditation itself is such an important part of a person's well-being. And what they talk about in this book is the actual um, um, mechanics behind it and what happens to our brains when we practice it on a daily basis, how it can improve us. Daniel Goldman is good friends with like the Dalai Lama, you know, and they've been practicing the same sort of meditation for many years. Um, so he knows a thing or two about it. Richard Davidson is a professor of neurosciences. He's a very important man in that in that field and they know what they're talking about with it. Um, so this book is, is also quite accessible, but it gives you a good idea of what meditation can do for the individual. So we're we actually looking at brain scans and yeah. what's happening in the brain during meditation. Yeah. That sounds oh, absolutely yeah. fascinating. It's fascinating. Really. Interestingly, um, Richard Davidson, he did a study on the brains of Tibetan monks and how their lifetime of meditation has actually changed their brain. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. they really know what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So it should be a really, really interesting book. <laughs> so we, we're taking meditation out of a nice fuzzy idea and yes. to put, we're looking at it from a very, very neurologically, scientifically yeah. based perspective. Exactly. exactly. Uh, okay. You know, there was a certain time when there were people thought our brains were set. You know, you'd think, okay, this is how I think, this is what I do and it can't be changed, you know. But what they've learned over the years now, especially people practicing this deep meditation, is they there's a certain plasticity in it, and you can actually change neural pathways in your brain, um, you know, over time. So it, that's a fascinating thing for me. I, I, I don't know. A lot of people find it quite interesting. This one will be out on the 28th of September. Okay, so that's coming out soon. That's it's a great soon. book to 
to look at the value of deep contemplation and yeah. meditation. Yeah. yeah. And remember Daniel Goleman did Emotional Intelligence back yes. in 95 and that was a big book. You know, it's such a big book. And then he recently, in, I think I read that one in 2013, it was called Focus, which is also a fantastic book. So it's the same Daniel Goleman. I was going to yeah. ask you. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, the it same was. Daniel Goleman from the EQ book yes, all yes, those yes. years back. And he's yeah. now taking his interest yeah. in neurology and neuro- neuroscience into meditation. Yeah, brilliant. And that can't be your whole list, but this is just a selection. If we have this more, this is just a short one. Uh, um, Jethro's got yeah, a few got a couple more. more yeah. <laughs> okay, um, so that's for me. That's before we get to Jethro, I just want you to talk about the book, The Power of Moments. The Power of Moments. I'm going to actually leave this one with Jethro, in fact, because he's yeah, been okay, okay, his, uh, okay. That's one of his. Oh, okay. okay, okay. So uh, yeah, The Power of Moments. This is by Chip Heath and Dan Heath. Um, they also did Switch and Made to Stick. Um, so they're basically talking about how. There are certain moments in our life that stick out and have changed our lives for the better. Um, basically, why certain experiences have an extraordinary impact on our life. Um, yeah, it's, I've taken a, a quick read of the first couple of chapters. Um, I think it's going to be quite an interesting one. So it's how we can use that, that science, how to make memorable moments yeah. in our lives. How to create them in your own life. Okay, well, as a parent or I'm a teacher as well, that's very important stuff. Yeah, one of the things he actually talks about is, um, you know, how would a teacher design a lesson that he knew his students would remember in 20 years? Wow. So it's things like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Also business, I think, as well. Yeah. Like you, from, from the point a customer walks into your business from till the time that they leave and go home and even after, after, after that as well, what is the experience that you're creating? For them, I think there's such a focus on that now yeah. in the business world. This, uh, this is Chip and Dan Heath. It's yes. a mm. it's a very very powerful book. So it's called the Power of the Power of Moments. Power of Moments. Okay. We'll be back with Jethro and some uh, Penguin books. Penguin books. Yes. Oh, Random House. Sorry. Random House books. Straight after this ad break. From Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book. We join in studio with our Viz and Jethro. And the quality of books coming from being around the house, it's just unbelievable. Jethro, All right. throw us some more punches. Okay, so <laughs> I've got something a little bit different to what Viz has been talking about. Um, first up, it's September, it's spring. Um, Weber Classics, the ultimate Bry Bible. Um, obviously, we've got uh, Bry Day coming up on the 24th of September. So this was the new one by Jamie Perviance. Um, it should release, uh, it actually released today, so it should be in stores in the ne- this next week if you want to get it. Um, yeah, it goes, starts, ugh, sorry, it's got everything from how do you start a fire properly, um, if you want to use a wok or a griddle or a pizza stone on, on the braai, um, various techniques like brazing, smoking, how to set up a rotisserie, um, and step-by-step techniques on how do you create the perfect burger, how do you cut a chicken into portions, and even how to fillet the fish properly. Um, over 200 recipes, a section on sauces, and even surprisingly, a little section on cooking desserts on the fire, which I didn't actually think you could do. But um, yeah, so I'm interested in taking a look at this. <laughs> like the comprehensive bra book. Once you got this one, you yeah, don't exactly, need anything yeah. else. Yeah, when they say it's the ultimate bra Bible, they're not lying. <laughs> Someone was telling me about they could make pie on, on a... On a braai. And I was like, pie? He's like, yeah. And then you, apparently you put the pastry in and then you, you know those things that flap in that netting thing. And then you put your filling and there's a spinach mix. And it just is insane. I was like, I didn't know you could do that. And there's a lot of stuff in that okay. book as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, another cooking book. Um, we've got Sweet by Yotam Otolenghi coming out on the 7th of September. 
Um, this is his new one on baking and desserts. Um, yeah, he's fairly well known. Uh, so he's he's very famous for using exotic spices and complex flavorings, um, like using fig and rose petal, uh, saffron and aniseed, um, orange blossom and pistachios. Um, so this has over 110 recipes. Um, some of the ones that uh, caught my eye were uh, blackberry and star anise frians, um, tahini and halva brownies, Persian love cakes. So it's a very <laughs> Middle Eastern type of um, theme. Desserts. He's Israeli, but he lives in England now. So you yeah. got that Israeli British crossover. Uh, yeah. And I think our listeners most probably know his books very well. I think one of his books was called Jerusalem. Yes, yeah. Yes. That's one of his last ones. So I think yeah. this is classic stuff for mm. high FM listeners. Yeah. But it's just desserts. And it's just desserts, yes. Okay, so the new Yota Motolenghi on yeah. desserts. It's called Sweet. It's called Sweet. Yes. Um, and if any of your listeners are a fan of MasterChef Australia, keep an eye out on the new season, season nine, because he spends a whole week with them. Wow. So that's – I've actually watched it. Um, and it's it's a really, really good week. It's such an addictive yeah. show, that. Hey? Um, okay, then in fiction, uh, I've got the new Salman Rushdie coming out, The Golden House. This releases on the 11th of September. Um, it's a modern American epic um, set against contemporary politics, um, pop culture, and it's very much a mystery, kind of like The Great Gatsby. Um, so it's about this man, Nero Golden, and his three sons who move into a suburb in New York, and they decide they're going to rename themselves after Roman emperors. So you can already think, you know, why would you name yourself after <laughs> a Roman emperor who is notorious for for killing many, many people. Um, his neighbors are quite intrigued. You know, who is this man with the improbable name? Um, his accent is untraceable, so they have no idea where he's actually come from. Um, he pitches up there. He doesn't have a wife. Um, so they wonder, you know, what's happened to her? Um, the story is told by one of their neighbors, Rene. Um, he's an ambitious filmmaker, um, so he wants to do a movie about them. Um, and he gets seduced all into their mystique and... Implicated in their crimes and their fights. So I've read a couple of the first chapters as well. It's typical Salman Rushdie. Um, slightly more realism than um, something like his um, Midnight's Children and uh, what is the other one? The Satanic Verses. So, yeah, also a really good one coming up. Is it set around the Obama, it's set around yes, the Obama um, administration? Yes. Yeah, Nero Golden, the main character, he moves to New York yeah. just after um, Barack Obama's inauguration. Yeah. So we've got. 2008 onwards yeah. and we've got a lot of American politics and then classic Rushdie every possible layer of yeah. literary reference is going to be there from Enid Larton to Greek myths that's exactly extremely yeah. intertextual yeah. <laughs> um, and then the last one I've got for you um, this one I am very very passionate about um, it's quite a bookseller's book um, it's called Midnight at the Bright Ideas Bookstore it's a debut by an author called Matthew Sullivan and this releases at the end of September on the 28th um He's already, just before it released, he's um, won the Goodreads Debut Author of the Month, uh, the Barnes and, Barnes and Noble Great New Writers Pick for Summer. Um, so already, even before the reviews have started coming out. You know, There's a lot of yeah. buzz. Well, what's the story about? So, um, it's a mystery. Um, it's about Lydia Smith. She's a bookstore clerk, and she has her favorite customer. Yeah, he comes in and browses almost every day. Um, and then one day she comes into work, and she discovers he's... He's killed himself in the bookstore. Um, and then she finds out she, um, this guy has actually left all of his possessions, all of his books to her. So um, she goes up to his house, um, and as she's browsing through his extensive book selection, 
um, she discovers, you know, all of his books have been defaced. They've got notes written in them. In them. And she thinks, why would this guy, this lover of books, deface his books this way? And as she's looking through them, um, she discovers these notes that he's written are actually to her. Um, and yeah, so as she's going through them, she there's like notes to her distant father that she hasn't seen in years. Um, there's an obsessive police officer who is following her around. Um, and she was attacked as a child by a serial killer, but she survived. And she finds out this guy has actually been following her around her entire life. So it's this whole mystery around all of that. Um, so I'm quite excited to read this. It's, uh, it's reminding me of Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour yes, bookstore. Yes, it's, it's very much like that, yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, I love that. So if this is anything like that. No, I think so, yeah. I don't have any proofs yet, yeah. so but when we get in. It's something to look out for. This Definitely, is yeah. The Midnight of Bright Ideas Bookstore. Uh, midnight at the Bright Ideas Bookstore. Midnight at the Bright Ideas yeah. Bookstore. Okay, I'm not, you can't go out until you've spoken about the new Simon Sharma. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, okay. whoever's book it is. Okay, so the new Simon Sharma belonging. This is volume two in his The Story of the Jews. Um, yeah, the entire history from 1492 to 1900. It's a tome. It's, um, a t- <laughs> it's yeah. Volume one was brilliant. Is it? Uh, I, I read it when it came out. I actually want to re- interview Simon because okay. his knowledge of Jewish history is unbelievable, but his ability to put it across is also so powerful. And he's, he's, a, he's, he's a professor of art history and also of history. He's British, but he's now at Columbia University in the U.S. Okay. He is phenomenal. And I'm saying anyone out there listening to Chaifem, if you haven't read Simon Chalmers uh, Story of the Jews, Volume 1. If it's one of the shops, put your name down and place an order for it and then read that. And when the next one comes out, you have. Uh, I've started my copy. Mm-hmm. And he just starts off talking about the, 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 the lost 10 tribes of Israel. And there's a famous legend that they live on the other side of a mythical river called the Sambathion River. That, they really just do, so they don't travel beyond a certain distance on the Sabbath. This river rages for six days of the week, and it only rests on the Sabbath, but they can't cross it. So they are stuck in exile somewhere that's inaccessible. But he talks about this as a mythical river. And then he talks about a, a Jew at the very beginning of the book who pitched up in the 1500s in Europe claiming to be the leader of the Jews from the other side of the river Sambathion. So he's, he creates that intrigue on the first page, oh. and he doesn't let up. It's 600 and something pages, 700 almost pages. almost 700 pages, yeah. <laughs> but it is that intense and that interesting and that unbelievably accessible for all, all pages. And it goes to 1900, so you're looking at the beginning of the Zionist movement. Simon Trom is a brilliant, brilliant uh, historian. So everyone on FM listening... Get yourself a copy of the first volume of Simon Sharma's uh, Story of the Jews. It should be available in yes, shops now. Is, yeah. Yeah, okay. We've got a short ad break, our last one for the, and for, for the show, and then we'll be back with some more books from Penguin Random House. The best part of your day. At the heart of your community. All the talk. All the music. All the news. Hi, FM. This is People of the Book. We are discussing uh, Penguin Random House books. We've just had a great, great, great list. And just to go through it, there's the John Le Corre, Legacy of Spars, the Golden Standard in Spa Writing. Then uh, Michelle Richmond, The Marriage Pact. This is a, a great domestic thriller about a secret 
organization around marriages. The Square in the Tower with the new Neil Ferguson. He's a brilliant, brilliant historian. His first book was The History of the Rothschilds, and everything he's written since then has just won awards. He's moved from Oxford to, I think, also Columbia University, and he's great. Then Stephen Fryer, Myths. This is your basic course in Greek mythology. Um, then Daniel Goldman and Richard Davidson, Science of Meditation, where we're looking at what happens in the brain when you're meditating. Uh, summer's coming, so spring day already today. The Weber Classics, uh, the ultimate bra Bible. Uh, then once you're having a bra, you've got to have a dessert. If you're not, uh, <laughs> if you're not out there enough to make your dessert on the bra, you can get the new Yotamoto Lenge book suite, which is baking and desserts. Then um, Salman Rushdie's Golden House, modern story set in, a, in, 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 in New York from 2008 onwards, classic Rushdie. And then we also looked at Midnight at the Bright Ideas Bookstore, which sounds like the, the ultimate book lovers who done it and why done it book. <laughs> and we've got to have a few more titles. Yeah, so the next one um, I want to actually touch on is the uh, Greg Howitz, uh, is in the Evan Smoke Greg Howitz series. This one came out uh, a few years ago. It was Orphan X, which was book one. Book two was Nowhere Man, which came out last year. And then the brand new one is coming out now. It's called Hellbent. And this is the third installment in the Evan Smoke series. So again, it sort of reads like a, like the Jason Bourne story, uh, you know, where he's um, trained by this organization and he becomes a super soldier and super spy. And then he falls off the program. And in, if you read any of the first two books, he, he goes away and he goes into hiding. And what he does is he helps people who can't go to the cops, like a normal situation. And he helps them um, and, and he disappears. You know, So he's this under, like this Batman kind of character. <laughs> he just disappears into the night. But um, in the second book, it was quite intriguing because they're still after him. The, the company uh, in inverted commas is, is still coming after him because he when he went away, he just didn't go away. He went away with like $27 million of their money, <laughs> which he uses to help people now. So... The third book, Hellbent, is uh, brand new. This is the third installment. Apparently, it's a real spike in the series uh, compared to the first two books. It's really, really exciting stuff. I don't know it, how you can top the first two. <laughs> that's the thing. I mean, the first two are so great. And uh, But this one, uh, our CEO himself has read it uh, the other day, and yeah. he was telling us this is his choice in the last couple of months. He just loved it. He started it and finished it in a very short space of time because you can't put it down. Okay. Uh, so that's the... Yeah, so speaking of Batman, um, uh, Evan Smoke, Snoke, the yeah. guy who this book is about, yeah. um, he's got his own semi-Batcave in, yeah. in his shower. Yeah. Um, and some of the technology is just incredible. It's insane. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, it's a really, really good read. Yeah, it's fresh and it's exciting. And we're so excited because we think that uh, there was talk of this becoming a movie very soon uh, with Bradley Cooper. And we hope that happens because it'll be just phenomenal uh, to see that on the screen. Um, and the next one I want to talk about is another cookbook, which is, you know, it's, it's uh, Jamie Oliver, Five Ingredients. That's it there. It's so exciting because it's literally five ingredients. Each recipe is five ingredients. Exactly five ingredients. And I thought to myself, but how is that possible? It has to be more than five. No, it's not. It's so simply put on the, on, you'll see it on the left hand side. You'll see the, the ingredients that he's putting in. He tells you how to put it together. So anybody who's, who loves to cook, loves good food, but don't have the time and I think there are a lot of people out there now who don't have the time Jamie sort of uh, found a, a nice little niche in the market with his books with this because he did before this 15 minute meals 30 minute meals last year uh, during the holidays we had a great one that came out and did really well as well so this one is out now it's just come out uh, last week um, was it this week Sorry. yeah it's this week, no, yeah, this week earlier this week and it's five ingredients you go and see it in all the stores it's there 
Yeah, I think the next thing he's going to do is one pot meal. Yeah. <laughs> he's done the time, he's done the ingredients. Yeah. What else can you do? Yeah. Yeah, it's been a full show. We've had great books that we discussed here. Yeah, um, just don't know where to turn next for the next book that I read from Penguin Random House. This is too much good stuff. Uh, thanks for coming in. We'll have you in again soon because uh, Dan Brown's next book's coming out yep. next month in October. Yep. And you also got lots of other books. There's a new Robert Harris. We, we, we've got a lot to discuss yes. next time you guys come in yes. in maybe four weeks time oh great we Thanks. won't run out of books don't worry <laughs> no. yeah we, we <laughs> that just, I know. our biggest challenge is finding books that we need to talk about there's so many we can't yeah. talk about so all the books. it's choosing the ones that you're going to leave <laughs> yeah. out yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah. thanks and everyone listen to the show it's good Shabbos and just keep reading there's so much good stuff out there that you have absolutely no excuse to find a book to pick it up and to read from cover to cover